0: Hi, and welcome to season two of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others. And as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small town. Hear their stories.
1: Sitting back listening to the voices groaning Beggars and drunkards and poor men mumbling Thirteen days in a gray barred hell And nobody wants to go my bail I want to see the sunshine. I want to hear my baby cry I want to get back and see one more day in Dover Laid up in a boxcar, the stories unfold Hungry tramps talking about a pot of gold I watch the liquor and coffee stains darken on the shirt, they're touched by the rain. I want to see a snowfall, I want to hear a robin call, I want to get back and see one more day in Dover. It's a late night sleeping in a rundown shed rolled up in a blanket i'm half past dead cars rushing by through the wind and the rain being cold and alone drive me insane i want to take a hot bath i want to hear my lady laugh i want to get back and see one more day in dover i want to get back and live one more day
0: Today on Big Sound Small Town, we're in the Earl Scruggs Center, and my guest is singer-songwriter Dale Britton. Welcome to the show, Dale.
2: Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. All right. Um, you've just played a couple of songs. All right. Uh, at what age did you discover you had the voice that you have?
2: I guess when I was about 15 or 16. Did Somebody you? else kind of pointed it out to me. I didn't really realize it, but... Uh... Uh, so, and it was around that same time that I heard James Saylor the first time, which was kind of what set me off on of oh, okay. this whole thing, you now,
0: know. Now, were you singing before that somewhere? Nah,
2: was- not really. Well, no, not really. I mean, I, the only kind of singing I ever did was my, uh, Grandparents used to stand me up in the kitchen and make me sing Brown Mountain Lights when I was like six <laughs> years old. That's pretty cool. So, you know, that was, uh, but other did, than performing, did you, like, you know. Did that, you
0: like doing that?
2: Yeah, I loved it. I liked singing. I just never thought I was going to be a singer. Right. You know, I just never, it wasn't something. I loved music. I mean, it's appropriate that we're in the Earl Scruggs Center because, you know, I'm looking at an Earl Scruggs poster on the wall because, the first music I remember hearing was banjo music. Was, oh, really? Was Earl Scruggs? Yeah. Was uh, 78 records that my grand, uh, my dad had, you know, and I just fell in love with that sound of that banjo, you know. So uh, it is a good so sound. This is kind of like a full circle thing, you know. So,
0: <clears throat> did you? When did you start playing guitar?
2: I guess I was about ten or so. So um, you
0: would started doing that before you started playing?
2: Yeah, I was. Yeah, I I mean, I would sing kind of like Okie from Muskogee and yeah. stuff like that, you know. But I wasn't playing out. I didn't start playing out anywhere until I was probably 18 or something. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I started pro- playing around 10, and, and my cousin was Johnny Fisher, who was. Yeah, I uh, John, He was a great guitar player, and mm-hmm. he's the person that really... He was two years older than me, so he knew, heard about all the music, like right. Creed's Clearwater Revival, he turned me on to... Uh, first time I ever heard "Born to Be Wild" was in his bedroom on a little, one of those old box, yeah. you know, record player things. And mm-hmm. So he kind of led me down the path and showed me some stuff. And uh, then we put together a band in our teens, and I ended up being the drummer. Oh, so uh, so, so how did that
0: trans- uh, uh, transition?
2: Well, you know, I wasn't that great of a guitar player anyway, you know, at that time. So. Uh, I just, it worked out fine. I had a little cheap set of drums and we were doing, I was singing Stairway to Heaven and, <laughs> you know, trying to be Bonzo back right. there on the drums. It was me and Johnny and a guy named Danny Lale. Yeah, I know uh, Danny
0: Lale too. You knew Danny?
2: Yeah, he uh, played in, he, he was in a band with his uncle for a long time somewhere, but. Played
0: uh, at Ponderosa for years. Yeah,
2: yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah. You know, he, uh, so it was, we were a power trio. Yeah. You know, me and Johnny and Danny. Well, that's, and that
0: is that's three good musicians.
2: Uh, we had we sounded okay, you know. We didn't really have PA or anything, but I mean we were doing like Behind Blue Eyes, and, and I was singing all that stuff, you know. Uh, and but that was just in high school. And then Johnny went off and kind of became a real country musician. You know, he, he went he ended up in the house band to Country City mm-hmm. when Randy Travis was there. Right. And he was in the um, Possum Holler, you know, down he in is. New York. He was in that house band mm-hmm. for years. So he went on and really. Had what I considered to be success because he was making a living. Yeah, it, you know, he was. Which was yeah. That was always the goal for me too. Mm-hmm. You know, to make a living at it somehow, but didn't actually pan out. But you know.
0: So what happens from there?
2: You well, got... let's see. Um, kind of went that way through high school. I I met uh, a guy named James Crosley when I was 16 years old, and James was probably 20 or 21 at the time, and he was in a band called Reborn Hope, which was. Yep. A, great rock the best band around here yeah they were uh uh, james and uh russell walker boo knipe and uh, Mm -hmm. phil pendleton Mm -hmm. so those guys kind of they kind of adopted me and i just hung around but they'd come get me and take me to gigs with them and stuff it was cool i thought i was the coolest guy in the in the room you know and uh then when i graduated high school uh i kind of lost touch with those guys and i um went out west for a month and bummed around out there. Then I went to Rhode Island, bummed around up there for about a month, and uh, uh, decided to come home. And I came home the weekend of the August Jam.
0: Oh, okay. So yeah. I,
2: I cooked a ride with these girls. Uh, I was in Richmond and these girls in a VW Bug that were, I wasn't going, I was going home. And they said, well, we're going to August Jam. And I said, well, I'll go with you. So we got down there, of course, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a ticket or anything. And, I ended up being one of the people in the big crush of the gate crashers yeah. like uh, that day. Right. Um, in fact I found a picture online that I'm in <laughs> right before I got put I got pushed through. I didn't have any choice, you know. How old would you have been then? I was eighteen. Eighteen? Yeah. And but the, the thing about it was I had left my suitcase in that in those girls' car and, you know, of course I ran into a friend and we I woke up the next morning, everybody was gone. I went out there hoping they'd at least set my suitcase out. Well, it was gone, had all my clothes in it. So that was kind of, kind of bottomed out there. And uh, so shortly after that, I joined the Navy, Mm -hmm. which was a huge mistake. (laughs) Uh, So I ended up, I spent about, I don't know, I went AWOL several times until they finally kicked me out. (laughs) Before they kicked me out, they stuck me in the uh, Newport, Rhode Island brig for six months.
0: Now were you were you um, writing and singing at this point? Oh yeah,
2: I was writing songs. I wrote a song in the Cleveland County Jail while I was waiting for the Navy to come pick me up. That's that's a great. Yeah, which I still do to this day, and I always, especially if I'm in Shelby, I say I wrote this song right down the street here in the Cleveland County Jail. You know. Is there
0: any chance at some point today we can hear you do that?
2: Yeah, I'll give it a shot. All yeah, right, yeah, all right. sure. Yeah, it's in a lower key. Maybe okay. I can. Uh, yeah but uh, well, that's a good story that's but, a really well nice story. you know I wrote the words of course I didn't have a guitar Of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, at oh, the yeah. time you know but, uh, but yeah it's called Dover and uh, it was really based on uh, I just kind of pictured like Dover, New Hampshire or something and everybody sort of took it as me meaning Dover Mill yeah. you know? yeah, yeah. but I mean it's the same, same deal you know it's just a fictional place but um, when I got out I came home I got back up with James I actually moved in with him and his wife, Kathy, they were living down in Patterson Springs. And he was in a band then called TNT with Patty Loveless and Terry Loveless. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy named Roger, I can't remember his last name, who was a great guitar player. And another guy, the bass player, that they called Hawk. I never knew his name either. But they were they were playing in a place uh, in Gastonia, 321 Club. Mm-hmm. It's it one of those illegal nightclubs where <laughs> you go up to the door, it's a steel door, and they slide the little thing back and look mm-hmm. out at you, you know. Yeah. So they played there from 11, at night till four in the morning, four days a week. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a job, so that's where I just hung out with yeah. and listened to Patty sing. Yeah. I mean, she was singing like Barracuda. Oh, My yeah. heart and stuff like oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, huh? yeah, yeah. I
0: remember so, she, Joan Jett. huh? Yeah, yeah. But
2: she'd do Silver Wings, and right. she was, obviously had the country voice. Mm-hmm. So And Terry was such a fine singer, oh, too. Oh, gosh, she was a great singer, great drummer. First person I yeah. ever saw live playing double bass drums was Terry. Yeah. So um, we started doing like some little trio like vocal stuff. So uh, around that time, there was a guy named Donnie McIntyre who was from around here who was a dobro player. And he, he kept trying to get me to play grass. And he said, you, you should try it. But I, I never really did. But he actually took me up to, uh, took me and James up to Hayne Coleman's house one night. Yeah. And so I met Hayne there, Butch, Richard Waldrop, met all those guys that have been a part of my life ever since, mm-hmm. you know, musically. And,
0: um, and they've been a big part of the music here in Clinton County. Okay. All yeah, of them. I
2: mean, you know, Haynes still yeah, he's getting done the, at it. You know? he's
0: been on the show, yeah.
2: So, uh, yeah, I listened to that. Yeah. I, I had forgotten about him. You know, th- some of those guys, like Ken Waldron and them, used to go uh, skydiving so, yeah. Oh, yeah. for a while. You know, they yeah. were in the, I never could get up the nerve for it. But <laughs> but anyway, um, that night that we were there was actually, I think they were having a planning meeting to have the first Rose Hill Pig picking. Oh, okay. So they asked me, I played a couple songs. They asked me to play at it, and uh, they put me on at what I thought was the perfect time. It was about six in the evening, you know, it was an all day thing. They, right. had, they had a beer truck there, and they had Marky yeah. and stuff. I remember that. Everybody days. was settling down with their plates, you know, and they put me on. I did like 45 minutes. Uh, Terry and Patty got up and sang a couple songs with me, and that was kind of what. Made my name around here as far as singing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, but I didn't, you know, nothing ever really came of that until about a year later. You know, Richard, I knew Richard, but uh, Richard Walter, but we didn't really see each other a whole lot. But uh, I got into a band. There was a bunch of people that hung around over at Sedgefield Apartments. And I met uh, Tim Krotz, mm-hmm. who was living there and a guy named Al Bates, who's my best friend to this day, I gotta throw in a plug for Al there, I know he's gonna be listening to this, but uh, we, uh, uh, Tim and Larry and I, Larry Wyatt and I, put together a band called Hedgefield Bluegrass, (laughs) and Richard was a bass player. Of course. So, uh, but he was also in smoking Grass. Yeah. So we were all at a party one night at Rose Hill, and uh, uh, just jamming, and Art Brooks, who was in smoking grass a banjo player, asked me if I wanted to join the band. And to me, that was like being asked to join the Beatles or something. I thought
1: that's cool.
2: It was, yeah, it was something. I, I was really, because I knew about them. I knew they had great harmonies and stuff.
0: Who was in there when you joined? When
2: I joined, it was Richard, Art, uh, Andy Morgan, and then me. All right. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't know what happened to the guy before me. I don't know if he moved away or something happened. He wasn't playing with them anymore. You know, um, so we started uh, we started rehearsing a lot. Now I heard Daryl Allison say that we were playing note perfect. <laughs> new Grass Revival, Cup. I don't know about that, but you know, we were we had a lot of energy. Daryl's been on the show, too. yeah. That's why that's why I heard him say that was on <laughs> yeah. the, the. He market. did, yes, yeah. he
0: did. That's where I was going with that.
2: Yeah, uh, I, and uh, when I heard that, I was like, well, thanks, but but we were, you know, we had a lot of energy. We were real enthusiastic and stuff. Uh, we started practicing a lot. Started looking for gigs. Uh, the first gig that we got that was paid when I was in the band was at Mickey's Pub in Spartanburg. Okay. So we got down there. We did set up sound check, and um, Mickey came over, the guy, and uh, he says, "You know, Toy Caldwell's here." And we looked <laughs> over in the corner, and there's this guy with this big hat, cowboy hat, that I think had a stuffed bird on it, if I'm not mistaken. I know am that you know, it just it was very ornate. Right. Whatever. I don't know if it was actually a bird or not, but it seemed it was a lot of feathers and stuff. So, uh but we got up and played the first set and, you know, I just kinda forgot he was over there and we did our thing and um I was sitting on the edge of the stage during the break and he came over and sat down beside me and we started talking, you know, he said, I like what you're doing and stuff and just being nice and uh they were playing uh, they had the, the whatever jukebox or whatever going, and Melissa by the Own Brothers came on. Yeah. And he said, you know, I, I play a pretty good guitar lead to that. And I said, well, I sing it. And he said, well, let's do it. <laughs> so we jumped up there, and you know, me and Toy, and played Melissa, <laughs> which was cool. And yeah. then, then we got the whole band up there, and uh, we ended up doing a bluegrass version of Can't You See? Yeah. And, yeah. So that was another high point. That was a you know? pretty high point, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty thrilling. So, yeah, I'd
0: um, say that was pretty pretty thrilling.
2: Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Should I just keep going with this tale? Or yes, I, you should keep going okay, with this tale. Cause it, it, uh, I'm trying to be as linear as I can because there's a lot of twists and turns. But
0: Well, the twists and turns is what makes it interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, They're
0: kind of like scars.
2: Well, you know, uh, Richard Waldrop mm-hmm. got a job with... Uh, Plum Hall Band. Right, went on the road with them, and I mean, they went on the road. They went out west play yeah, the at ski resorts mm. and stuff. And uh, so he made the big time. He got the uh, matter of fact. He told me one time that his favorite bed was a bunk on the bus. You know, <laughs> so um, um, Butch Turner joined us. And uh, Butch is a great songwriter, great musician I you know yeah, I, you. you know we knew him from i mean I, I met him around the same time I met all those and other people. I played guys.
0: music with his dad
2: oh yeah with the uh, Festus. Festus yeah. yeah yeah, that's right yeah and uh, so you know we uh, butch was going out and getting us gigs, and uh, Steve Metcalf kind of got involved with us you know and um uh, he, I had known Steve, I met him like in 75 and then we kind of lost touch for a while and I re, kind of re-met him. And um, so he was taking over, this would have been January of 80 or so, uh, he was taking over Green Acres for Niles. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was going to take over, the, well he made some kind of deal with Niles, there's. Matter of fact, there's a podcast that Joe Kendrick did. I, they, I, was, yeah, did. I was involved in that. Oh, were you? Yeah, Yeah, they, yeah. so Steve talked about that, and um, he tells the story better than I do, but he, he said, uh, I promise y'all I'll pay you more every time you play. So I think the first night he paid us $20. I can't remember if it was for the whole band or if Lord it was peace. a piece. I think, I'm thinking it was made for the whole band. But it was in the middle of January. There's eight inches of snow on the ground. There was like twenty people in there, and they were all huddled around the wood way yep. in the back. We mm-hmm. were up on the stage, freezing our butts off. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we did it. We did the show and had a good time.
0: And who who would have been in that part of smoking grass? That
2: was still uh, Butch, me, Art, and Andy. Okay. Uh, and then later on, uh, close around that time, a friend of Butch's, Keith Rich, came in, and he was a multi-instrumentalist. He mostly played fiddle with us, but he played steel, some and banjo, and he's one of those guys. And um, so, you know, of course, the next we played like three or four weekends in a row, and Steve would give us a dollar more every time we played. That's (laughs) that's the story. Yeah, I'll pay you more every time you play. So, but there was a few more people there every time, you know, and it got to be, um, it it got to be a pretty big thing, you know, going on. Yeah. and we also, around that time, maybe a little bit before that, we got to open for Newgrass Revival, which was a big thrill, yep. because they've always been my second favorite band.
0: And that would have been the Courtney Johnson. Uh, the
2: Courtney Johnson, Curtis Birch. Curtis version. Birch version. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they were, you know, so kind of got to know those guys a little bit. And uh, and Steve got to know them real well. Yeah, he know? did. Um, yes, he did. But then uh, we started going out doing other gigs, playing around. Uh, I got married that year in 1980 Um, but we were out we were out gigging a lot but you know everybody had day jobs too Um, so for me I probably didn't I don't really remember (laughs) to be honest with you Uh, but uh, at some point uh, later that year in in uh, in 80 Butch left and Keith left at the same time so we got Lynn Dotson uh, who was who uh, was living with Richard Waldrop on Lee Street. Of course, mm. Richard was on the road all the time. So, mm. Lynn stepped into the bass slot, and we met this guy uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, named C.J. Myers. He was from Pennsylvania, real hot, flashy flat picker, which we didn't have because I'm not a flat picker. You know, I'm barely a rhythm player. <laughs> I, I, was just, I was just keeping up, basically. I think you're being modest, but we'll go with no, that. No, it's the truth. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a bluegrass player. I never have been. Uh, I've been in plenty of bluegrass jams, but I'm not. I can't keep up with those guys. And you know, we were playing really fast stuff and CJ could play fast. I mean, he was lightning fast. So we started getting some pretty big response from the crowds then and started getting more gigs. Got into a place called the Old Prospector in Charlotte Mm -hmm. and we used to pack that place out. It was, that was a great gig. Uh, And then around that time, we, uh, there was a couple guys that that CJ got up with somehow uh, Danny Darling and Tom Clayton. And they were salesmen that had worked together for some company. And they both had either quit or the company went out of business or something. So they decided they were going to form a, a company and we were going to be the product. Smunggrass <laughs> was going to be the product. Five-string enterprises was what they called it. That's great. So we were employees. They were paying us a, check, a paycheck every week. We talked Art into quitting his day job because he had a young... You know, it was a big thing for him. And mm-hmm. I'd really... I mean, we kind of guilt-tripped him into it, you know, but uh, talked him into quitting his job and going on the road. So we played a lot all over the place, uh, mostly stuff that we could drive to, right. you know, from home. But we did a few overnight things, but I always called it the never-ending tri-county tour because it was, <laughs> you know, Cleveland, Rutherford, you know, yes. down the South Carolina some, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And we did that for... Uh, about a year, you know, um, just play. And that was around the time of um, the Urban Cowboy. Yeah. So we played a lot of places with mechanical bulls and stuff. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. we weren't really what they were looking for, but on a Wednesday night, they put a bluegrass bear sure. there. Mm-hmm. They might know the difference, you know. Uh, so we did a lot of that stuff. Uh, and around the end of, 1981, it all, we just, it kind of petered out. I think everybody just got kind of tired of everybody, you know, how it yeah. is in a band. Oh,
0: yes, yeah, a band, Chef Life.
2: Yeah, so uh, we just kind of, uh, I, I basically tendered my resignation because I was, I was tired of it. Right. I was tired of oh, driving, yeah. and, you know. And so the band split up and... Uh, That's good.
0: That's good. Well, we're going to take a break
2: here. All right, okay.
1: I've been windblown But I'm going home Got some friends I want to see In North Carolina There's a girl back there The moment she don't care But I'm gonna make her mine If I ever find her When I say hello Blue Ridge Mountains Wrap me in your cloudy arms Hide me on a hillside Twenty miles from the nearest farm I'll say goodbye to my sweet dream A dream I never knew Well, I can live without my dreams As long as I have you Well, I'm gonna stop at The next bar I see buy myself a couple of beers well i think about a dozen odd friends maybe shed a couple of homesick tears well how many more lonely crossroads and how many willing hearts must I pass just to make it back To my only home And just how long will my homecoming last When I say hello Blue Ridge Mountains Wrap me in your cloudy arms And hide me on a hillside Twenty miles from the nearest farm I'll say goodbye to my sweet dream The dream I never knew I can live without my dreams long as I have you
0: I'm back here with Dale Britton, and he just got to the end of Smoking Grass Saga, so we're moving to the next chapter in this musical journey.
2: Yeah, Well, uh, that kind of ended it for a while. Um, Did you
0: get burnt out, I guess? I mean, you do. Yeah,
2: I didn't play any gigs. Uh, I didn't really do much of anything. We were, uh, I think we were living in Lenore then, so I was kind of far away from everybody else, you know? And... uh, I just kind of went through, you know, just a rough c- couple years really not having that in my life, you know, so. Oh, it makes a difference, yeah. And I I, in fact, there for a while, I didn't even have a guitar uh, for probably two or three years. And uh, I started kind of, you know, coming out of the fog of it, you know, around about 84 or so. So uh, I ordered this guitar, uh, Sight unseen from Mandlin Brothers, a D18, 1979 D18. I called him up and said, "I don't want to spend more than a thousand dollars." And he said, "Well, I got this uh, D18 here, and uh, he strummed it over the phone, which you know, obviously you can't tell anything. (coughs) But they sent it to me on, on, you know, on spec, and I played it. It It's kind of hard to play uh, when I first got it." but I had some. I had Carl McIntyre put some new sure. frets on it and stuff, and still got the pickup that Carl put in it.
0: I still have two guitars with Carl yeah. McIntyre.
2: Sounds it still sounds great to and this neck. day. You know, I it's it's too. a passive. You know, it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. But he did the he did a fret job on it, and then uh, just recently I got the neck reset, so now it plays great. But, Who did uh, the
0: neck reset?
2: Just uh, Ken. Uh, Crap, I can't think of his last... It's Mountain Home Guitars up in... He's up in Candler. Okay. I can't think of his last name. His first name's Ken. Okay, but he, no, that's cool. But yeah, he did a neck reset. Made it a lot easier to play. So it's back to being my main guitar now. But I got that, like I said, in 84 or so. And started plinking around on it, trying to pick up, get back in shape. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, was mostly just playing in jams. You know, there'd be picking parties here and there. That's Cleveland County,
0: they're everywhere. Yeah,
2: and um, then, I don't know, around 90 or so, uh, I went with a friend to see Nancy Griffith in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, an opening act, which was, they weren't bad, but they weren't that great either. And I was sitting there the whole time they were on, just like going, I can do better than that, you know? So that kind of lit a fire under me. And I said, if they, can, if they can do it, then I can do it. So I started practicing more, started booking, booked a lot of stuff in Charlotte. There was a, a chain of restaurants called Rainbow Deli that I got into, there was like three or four of them. And This was a solo gig? This was solo, but yeah, I've, I've been solo ever since.
0: Okay, uh, so you've been solo all this time since then? All,
2: all this time, since smug Grass split up, I have not been in a band. Okay. Um, uh, I've had some, other than informal, you know, I've had, I've got friends up in Michigan that'll come down and play with right. me, and we've done some shows, but it's not really amazing you know. But uh, anyway, you know, I started then, started practicing again, started getting out and playing again. And this one, one branch of the Rainbow Deli was up at uh, University area in Charlotte. And at the time, uh, Carrot Top, the comedian was yeah. living up there. Yeah. And he started coming in there, and he really liked John Prine. So, you know, the f- first time he came in, I didn't know who he was. You know, that guy looks familiar, you know. So I did a, a Prine song, and he came up to me talking during the break. Man, I just love John Prine, blah, blah, blah. I still didn't know who he was till the bartender told me. So then he started coming in there a lot, you know. So that, that was kind of cool because he was just starting to kind of take yeah. off then, yeah. you know. But I played up there a lot. I was working in Huntersville and playing three or four nights a week, which was just brutal, because I yeah. live in Gastonia, you yeah. know. But I was doing it. I was young, I could, I could do it, you know. And, you know, I just, around that time, around 90, let's see, 90, it would have been 92, somebody told me that they were having uh, music at the uh, River Rat down at Lake Wild. Yeah which was run by a guy named Al Powell uh, who's from Gastonia. And back then, if you wanted to go drinking in Gastonia, you had to go to Charlotte or, True, or everybody went to the river. Yeah. I mean, exactly. that place was, you know it was, it was just where everybody in Gastonia went. They had great food. They started out in a small place and then they built a new place which was really big and had a nice patio and he started having live music out there. So I got in touch with him and he hired me in the summer of 92 and then he hired me back in the summer of 93, summer of 94. <laughs> Turned out I played there for 17 summers. Wow,
0: that's uh, a good job.
2: That's the longest job I ever had. Well, I, I worked for the phone company for 17 years, so they're were they were equal. But uh, every summer I was out there, some summers it was every weekend, unless it was raining. Uh, yeah. There was another guy that did it that he and I would trade off with, but some he was on the road some, so and there was, some summers he didn't play there at all, and I did every weekend.
0: With that, I guess you had to do a lot of Buffett covers, didn't you? Oh,
2: man, I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. Summertime at the lake, I'm, I'm betting you Oh, had to my do God. It. Those
2: people it. love them some Buffett, you yeah, know? Yeah, they do. But um, I kind of got good doing that because I was doing it, you know. So much, yeah, you know, I'm because sure. Because I don't practice. I'm just, I'm just too lazy. I, don't, I'm, I just don't practice. So my practicing is being on stage. Right. So if I go without gigs for a while, I start getting rusty.
0: Yeah.
2: But I got pretty good doing that. And I was doing the heck out of Margaritaville and mm. uh son of a son of a sailor oh, yeah. and you know and stuff like that. And uh Pirate Looks
0: at Forty, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Pirate Looks at Forty, yeah, yeah. that
2: was a, that was a, yeah, and I did one song one night, I can't remember what it was, it was maybe it was He Went to Paris or something yeah. like that. And I got finished and this gal said,
1: Play some Buffett. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's
2: <laughs> Honey, that was Buffett. But uh, most of them knew it, you know. And I was doing my original stuff right. down there and just mixing it up. And I'd have my buddies from Michigan. I really need to talk about them because these guys have been the main part of my musical life for the last 20 years. It's Al Bates who I met in Shelby um, at Sedgefield Apartments. He's a dobro, banjo, guitar, mandolin. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He lives in Kalamazoo. And uh, he and I have been basically musical partners. We can go for a year and sit down and play like we've been playing all time. year long, yeah. you know, because uh, we've been doing it so long. And there's another guy from up there named Wes Pattinger who is a banjo, great banjo player, who's on my CD. And um, he runs a bluegrass festival up there now. It's Charlotte. They spell it like Charlotte, but they right. say Charlotte, which has been going on for 45 years. He took it over. Uh, He took it over, I think, in the 40th year.
0: Do you you go up there and play? I
2: go, I used to go every year. I skipped a couple years, but I went up there this past uh, about a month ago or two months ago and just hung out with him, you know, and and picked some. But I played at his first Charlotte Bluegrass Festival. Right, when he took it over. When he took it over. And those people are hardcore uh, traditional bluegrass. bluegrass. So Al and I went out and did the singer-songwriter thing in the afternoon with guitar and dobro. Right. It went over okay, but it was the first time we played two sets on Friday afternoon. And the first one, I was just like shaking like a leaf, you know, because I knew I was worried about how it's gonna go over. Right. You know, the second set, I was like, I don't care. We're just gonna get out there and do it. Right. So that went better. And then on uh, that night, uh, we got. A couple other hot pickers up from up there, uh, Lloyd Douglas, who's played with, I think he played with Jim and Jesse, and he's another monster musician, banjo player, guitar, uh, and his brother Chris, who's a bass player, and we put together a little band with Al and Wes and me and those two guys, and we we did like 30 minutes of kind of grass. Stuff. Right. Yeah. We did we did like a high on a mountaintop, yeah. hot Rise, and stuff like that, yeah. and um, and did some of my stuff. And it went over really well, and uh, you know they were trying to get us to come back for an encore. And I said, we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't know anything. I'm yet. sorry, this yeah, is it. Yeah. we had we had twenty minutes to rehearse, and you just heard it, <laughs> you know, because we were out in the parking lot going. Okay, this one goes like this, and but it went over really well. But I just wanted to mention those guys because they're, they're all uh, Wes and and Al are both on my CD, and there's another guy on there, uh, Tommy Dunn, who's a bass player from up there. So it, it was actually recorded up there in Capitol okay. Zoo. But um, uh, so you know, the, I've, I've been picking with those guys all along, doing the river at thing all along, and I was working for AT and T. And around 2009, they were going through some restructuring and laying people off. And I got because of seniority, I got put on a noon to 8:30 shift, which meant that I couldn't do a Friday night sure. gig at the river at. You mm-hmm. know couldn't do and at the same time he decided he only wanted to do music on Fridays right because his business was fallen off so that was it I mean I said I asked him if he could you know throw a dog a bone you know and let me do a couple of Saturdays he said no I just can't afford it so that was it and that was the end of it so then I went into another uh, kind of fallow period I was still going up to Michigan every year playing with those guys but it was nothing not really doing any gigs and uh, uh, eventually, I ended up in a call center, working in a call center in, for AT&T in Charlotte. Which I just decided, so I decided to just retire, go ahead and leave. And this was 2014, and so the last Friday of uh, June of 2014 was my last day of work. Then the next. The next week I didn't do anything. Then the next week I started calling around trying to get gigs and started practicing. First place I called was Newts, and you know they just I said, "Y'all should hire me. I'm pretty good." They said, "Okay." (laughs) (laughs) You know. Then I then I went to talk to Jamie. Yeah. Got in down there. Uh, So the first time I played at Newts was like in September 2014, and one of my friends uh, from high school. Uh, Liz brought a bunch of her friends and a, it was just packed out I don't know where all those people came from but uh, I thought wow this I can do this you know so uh, so I started playing at newts a lot started playing at the dragonfly and I just fell in love with that place that's great
0: that's a great venue it's the it's particularly the for a favorite one I have ever
2: done you know? for singer songwriters yeah, the acoustics are great the everybody. For the most part, will sit there and listen True. to you, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then Roger Holland approached me about playing at Newgrass, so I played down there a few times, but I kind of got shuffled off the rotation. Yeah, it's kind
0: of hard for one person to to hit much there. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's it. Yeah, you I mean, really I need. I've a band seen
0: good musicians struggle with yeah. the one person there.
2: I yeah, I really wasn't drawing in there, you know, and. Uh, but you know I draw great in the dragonfly. Yeah, dragonfly. Right uh, but uh, so right now the dragonfly is basically my home. That's that's where I do. Uh, you know I'm doing five or six there next year, at least through September, and then probably a couple more later right. on in the year. But when I started playing there, I started because when I first started, like on Wednesday nights, there'd be five people in there. Right yeah. So I would just start talking, just telling stories, and I'd tell you know. Like one of the stories I tell is uh, uh, one of the times when I was AWOL from the Navy, I was out in Colorado and I was coming home, I was gonna hitchhike home and uh, I didn't have any money, I was flat broke. And uh, I was so broke that I had been eating in a soup kitchen every day at noon and that was the only meal I was getting. So I said, I gotta get home somehow. So I planned it out, uh, I went to the soup kitchen at noon, I ate every, all I could eat. And I got out on the on the highway and started hitching, and I eventually ended up uh, real late that night. A guy picked me up, uh, and he was had a trailer with some horses in it, and he was going, he was going to Amarillo, and I I knew that I forty went through Amarillo, so I said, well, if I can at least get down there on the highway, mm-hmm. then I got a straight shot. And plus, it was middle of february and i was oh, freezing man. so i had i had to prospect all night of being in a nice warm cab of a truck you know right. so i took that ride with him we got to got to amarillo he bought me breakfast got out on the road started on back out on 40. stood out there for like five or six hours nobody picked me up and finally this guy stopped and uh i got in the car and he was like playing zz top or something and, seemed like a really nice guy he had a cooler full of beer in the back like pearl beer which you know yeah. any port in the storm True. so we were just going down the road just drinking beer talking you know and, and you know having a good time and uh we got out in the county in the countryside back then it was before 40 was finished so right. parts of it was just, you know future i-40s two-lane right. roads so we're driving along and he goes he looked over me and he said you have any money and i thought oh here we go I said, no man, I'm broke, I ain't flat broke. I had a pint of tequila, that's all I had. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, there's a little store down here that uh, we could go in there and we could knock it over and probably come out of there with a couple hundred dollars a piece, you know. And I said, "Uh, I think I'll pass. And uh, so he took me on down the road and let me out and, you know, we pulled into the rest area, and he said, you, you probably better get out. And I said, yeah, I guess so. So I don't know if he went back and robbed the place or not. That's a he, great story. He was, so, you know, I just, and then I'll do, I'll tell that story, and then I'll do, like, the Great Filling Station holdup. Yeah, so, that, yeah. You know, so I started doing that. That's what I was getting around to was, you know, I started, I realized I had all these stories from stuff that had happened. Right. That were true, that kind of fit with these songs. You sure. Know? So I started doing that, and... People seem to like it, and more people, more people kept coming. You know? Stories
0: are a good part. I mean, reno yeah. Reno Harold's making a living at. Well, was, you know,
2: I always, I, I was going to be the sensitive singer songwriter, James Taylor. You don't know, look at the audience, you right? Know, even he gets up and dances around, and yeah. you know, stuff now. But people want you to interact with them, you know, especially it's, on that well, on that level. You they want to be
0: entertained. Well, somewhat.
2: exactly that, and that's the thing, you know, Tom Paxton told me that one time, I went to Swannanoa one year for sure, the, yeah. the uh, folk thing,
0: and I, and
2: he and I hit it off real well, and I hung out with him and his wife all weekend, and uh, we were talking about songwriting and stuff, and he said, you know, he said, when I go on stage, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an entertainer. I'm not a songwriter, I'm an entertainer. Right. And I kind of took that to heart because, especially a place like that that's real sure. intimate, you're on eye level with people, and they're right up on top of you, you know? So it's just like, it's, it's kind of like sitting in a living room, yeah. you know? So that's what I like about it. So that, you know, that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm mostly just a dragonfly guy now. And uh, Steve uh, Metcalf's trying to get me to play up at Barley's, but I just haven't, I hadn't really.
0: Yeah, Barley's good.
2: Yeah, I hadn't really reached out to him yet. I, we, I went up there the other- It's a haul from Gastonia though. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I would probably, maybe I could crash at his house or something. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he But uh, he, uh, uh, I just wanted to go out to lunch with him, and, you know, we would go in there, and he's in, like, Mr. Promoter mode, you know, no, handing out always, CDs yeah, and stuff. he's always in Mr. So, Promoter uh, mode. So I'll probably call him after the first of the year, but I'll be doing more Dragonfly stuff, right. and, and probably there's a place up in Hickory that's kind of similar to the Dragonfly called the Hickory Wine Shop that... I'm gonna to try to get back in it's under new ownership, but I think I can get back in there too. So just enough so, to keep Yeah. You know, keep interested in. Sure. It, you know, so.
0: it's a great story.
2: Yeah, well, thank and, you. It's,
0: and I appreciate you taking the time to come tell it.
2: Well, thanks for thanks for having and me. I, I've been I've been thinking about this and trying to order everything in my mind and you know, I'm sure I left a lot of stuff out. But,
0: well, that's uh, a pretty good story. So I you know, I'm glad you shared it with us and again thank you
2: for being here. All right, well thanks, Ed.
1: chill in the air. It's cotton candy time. We're walking down the midway, just trying to pass the time. Well, I saw you standing, your face turned towards the sky. Watching the fireworks, the tear in your eye. Well, I recall the time that I walk here held your hand in mine you know I loved you true you used to meet me at the water wheel and fall into my arms there your touch I can still feel baby don't worry if you lose me just walk right up that hill and meet me at the water wheel Light and noise between us We were pressed from every side The carnies and the hustlers Children screaming on their rise. Well, I reached out to touch you But the crowd kept me away. Well, I don't think you saw me I don't think you heard me say Meet me at the water wheel Fall into my arms there, your touch I long to feel. Baby, don't worry if you lose me, just walk right up that hill and meet me at the water wheel. We'll go on and give a quarter to the old man in the booth. He will call your friends and lovers you'll sing happy birthday to that's where you can find me My face turned towards the sky watching the fireworks the tear in my eye won't you meet me at the water wheel and fall into my arms there your touch I long to feel oh baby don't worry if you lose me walk right up that hill meet me at the water wheel meet me at the water wheel the end of the midway won't you meet me at the water wheel